All right. Well, 2017, pretty hard to believe, isn't it? I, I mean, I, I guess some of the younger folks may, may think the years are still dragging, but I've noticed even with my own kids, as young as they are, they, they recognize that the years are just flying by. And, and I just cannot believe that we are already uh, to the year 2017. And uh, they just go by really fast. Kind of, a, kind of a blur. But as we're entering this new year, one of the things that I hope is that I, I hope that we haven't grown too discouraged over our past New Year's resolutions that we did not keep, that we don't take advantage of the start of a new year to uh, kind of evaluate our lives and, and consider some changes that we want to make uh, to see improvements in our lives uh, in this new year. I, I think it's a great thing when people take advantage of this kind of uh, new start uh, to evaluate themselves and say, these are the things that I want to do, uh, these are the commitments that I want to make to help improve my life uh, in this coming year. And so in keeping with that, we're going to start the new year here at VCC by uh, entering into a series that will look into the scriptures, look into the Bible for ways that we can improve our lives in 2017. You know, there's no better source for ideas on how to improve your life uh, than the Bible. And, and so we are going to find from the Bible several things that will improve our lives if we will heed the counsel that we find in the scriptures. If we'll heed the counsel we discover in the scriptures, we'll become better people, we'll experience an improved quality of life, we will be better for those around us, and our own lives will be better uh, as well. And the first topic in this series seems to me to be the only topic that could be first in a series like this. If you want to improve your life in 2017, you need to enthrone God on your life this year. To enthrone God means to acknowledge God as the ruler of your life. It means that we relinquish control of our own lives and we yield rule of our lives to God. It means that we receive God as the sovereign of our lives. It means that we, here, here's a rough word, it means that we submit to the rule of God. And there are two passages of Scripture I want to reference today. The first is James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. The second is Exodus 20, 1 through 5. And so let's go ahead and start today by looking at those passages of Scripture. We'll look first at James 4, 1 through 10. Here's what they say. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you do not get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And then Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 5. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Let's say amen to the word. Amen. Amen. Have you noticed that we are not a submissive people? By not answering that, you're proving the point. (laughs) Have you noticed we're not a submissive people? Yeah. I I mean, you can find the occasional person that is uh, a bit passive about things, and sometimes we we might uh, call that being submissive. Maybe there's a rare person here or there that, that might actually fit the description of, uh, of submissive. You know, there are some children that are more submissive than others, but it's almost always grading on a curve, you know, grading compared to like the rest of the hellions that are around. And uh, <laughs> there just really aren't that many submissive folks. As a group, human beings just are not very submissive people. Americans are not submissive folks. I mean, our country's founding came about by throwing off the rule of Britain. You know, rightfully so, most of us believe, but but submission is not a part of our heritage. Revolution and self-determination are ingrained in us. And of course, this is the history of all of mankind. People are ruled until they decide they don't want to be ruled anymore. And then they rise up and they throw off that rule. And in the process of doing that, they end up ruling somebody else. And then those people are ruled until they don't like it anymore. And then they rise up and throw off the rule and on and on it goes. You know, it's interesting that Americans are so fascinated with the British monarchy, but there aren't actually many people in the world who desire to live under a monarchy, who desire to be ruled by a monarch. And in the case of Britain, it's this odd thing where there is a monarchy, but the monarchy doesn't actually rule anybody. It's, it's just, uh, it's fascinating. We don't want to submit to authority. We want what we want, when we want, when we want it, how we want it. And whoever impedes that for us, whoever stands in the way of that, better watch out. We've seen in uh, this election cycle that representative democracy isn't even good enough for people anymore. You know, they're unwilling to submit to leadership that results from free and fair elections, but declare themselves independent from the results of the election if they do not like how it goes. They, they just reject the, the leadership. As a pastor, I see the unwillingness of people to submit to any type of leadership. I I have just had numerous occasions over the 11 and a half years we've been a church to, 
to see this. You know, it does not matter how cautiously, how kindly, even reluctantly that you challenge some people. All it takes is a challenge. And the challenge in you as a person uh, gets rejected. They just reject. It's not everybody, but but it's a lot of people. They just reject any type uh, of leadership. And, you know, I don't really take that personally because if I am challenging them based on something the scripture says that is clear, then I understand that the leadership the person is really rejecting is the leadership of God in their lives. And and so, so people just struggle. We're, We're not submissive people. And it's, It's not just 21st century Americans. It is the story of all people throughout all time. You see it start in the very beginning when God gave Adam and Eve everything for their enjoyment and put how many things off limits? One. God said, you can freely partake of everything here and you can run around naked if you want. There's just one thing that you cannot do. You can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that was too much. Too much rule for them. That was too much submitting for them. They could not submit to that one thing. Because God created us, He is the rightful ruler of our lives. But when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, what they did is they removed him from the throne of their lives. And the reason that it's necessary uh, to, to appeal to us that we enthrone God on our lives from time to time is because like our first ancestors, we continually face the temptation to dethrone God. And often we do dethrone him. And why is it that we do that? Basically, it's for the same reason Adam and Eve did it. It's basically for the same reason that they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We convince ourselves that in obeying God, that in submitting to God, that in surrendering to God, it is going to cause us to miss out on something. That that God is going to withhold from us things that would be good for us, that God is going to withhold from us things that we want. This is what Satan convinced Adam and Eve of. He convinced them that God did not want them knowing things that he knew. He's holding out on you, Satan told Eve, and then she told Adam. James 4 references the desires, the battle within us, desires that we think will not be met, if we surrender to God. And so we do a quick calculation. I can let God have the throne of my life, and then I don't get these desires met, we tell ourselves. Or I can keep control of my life, and apart from God, I'll be able to satisfy the desires that I have. And since anything we value more highly than God becomes our God, we become guilty in that moment of idolatry. No, we haven't created any graven images to worship like Exodus 20 references, but we create idols 
out of our desires just the same. In one sense, it's our desires that we make idols. But what we're really doing is choosing to place ourselves on the throne of our lives. The throne that rightly belongs to God. And so in a sense, the idol that stands above all the other idols in our lives is us. We, we're what we idolize. We, we take the role of God in our lives. We're the masters of our own destiny. I get what I want, when I want it, how I want it, because I'm the captain of my ship. I'm my own sovereign. Many of us here today, I'd say almost everyone here today, recognizes that this is wrong. We recognize that we are wrong to do this. And yet we face ongoing temptation toward living that way. And often we actually do give in to the temptation. We call him Lord with our mouths. But in reality, we're the only one occupying the throne of our lives. And when we do this, when we claim the throne of our lives for ourselves, when we dethrone God, we cause a lot of damage. Lots of damage. When we claim the throne, we do damage both horizontally and we do damage vertically. We do damage to our relationship with others and we do damage to our relationship with God. Here's what James 4.1 says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. And then it goes on to say that even when we ask God for things, we do so with wrong motives, totally focused on ourselves, totally focused on selfish ends. James is telling us that removing God from the throne and claiming it for ourselves causes damage to those around us. We kill, we fight, we quarrel. And we know this is true. We, we see it play out in our lives. Someone inadvertently does something that offends us, even though objectively we should not be offended. And because we're on the throne and we see ourselves as sovereign, we will accept no disrespect from anybody. And so we unleash our anger on the person, or we unleash our anger about them on Facebook. We're faced with sexual temptation. And because we're the sovereign of our lives and the sovereign gets what the sovereign wants, we grant ourselves permission to pursue the temptation. We damage our spouse. We disappoint our children. We disappoint our friends. We cause damage in our congregation. We really like the taste of beer. Uh-oh. <laughs> so much so that we can't restrain ourselves from having one. Even when we're out with a couple that we know 
the gentleman has struggled with alcoholism. And so we set in front of him the very thing that has caused him so much heartache in his life. We damage others. But that's not all we do. We damage our relationship with God. James 4.4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? And then we're told that God opposes proud people. People who claim thrones for themselves that don't belong to them. We see two things in these verses. We see first that when we claim the throne of our lives for ourselves, we do damage to our relationship with God. It, it tells us that we cause enmity. We make ourselves enemies of God. And when we do this, James says, we're adulterous people. The one who deserves our loyalty, we instead give it to another. And depending on how you want to look at it, we either give our loyalty to some sin or at the most basically, uh, basic level, we give loyalty to ourselves over God. And here's something that I am fully convinced of. Most Christians are living well below the abundant life that Christ has for us. And here is the main reason I believe. We are trying to have Jesus in some sense without fully yielding the throne of our lives to him. And it is a recipe for misery. The second important thing we find in these verses we just read is that God is a jealous God. You know, jealousy gets a bad rap. And there are times that it, it deserves it. But you know, there is righteous jealousy. You know, if a if a man starts to give attention to a woman that's not his wife, that should be reserved for his wife, when she's jealous about that, that is righteous jealousy. The other way around, it's righteous jealousy. When someone deserves our loyalty and they do not receive it, jealousy is a righteous response. God is righteously jealous. As creator, he deserves to have us place him on the throne of our lives. Additionally, not only as creator, but as redeemer, Christ deserves to have us place him on the throne of our lives. Now, scripture tells us that there is coming a day when every knee is going to bow and rightly acknowledge his sovereignty. But today, we get to choose. We get to choose whether we recognize his sovereignty or not, but he deserves to be enthroned on our lives, and when he isn't, he is righteously jealous. And here's an important thing for us to understand. God is never okay with people who he is Lord of through both creation and redemption serving a rival God. And here's what he demands, is that we vacate the throne and yield it to him. 
We see this in both Exodus 20 and James 4 and Exodus 20, which lists the Ten Commandments. The very first one tells us of the allegiance God demands, and it is absolute. You shall have no other gods before me. Career cannot be before me. Money cannot be before me. Sex cannot be before me. Entertainment cannot be before me. Anger cannot be before me. Relaxation cannot be before me. Relatives cannot be before me. You can't be before me. No other gods. I must have the throne, God says to us. Now look, I stand up here today as a person who is as tempted as anyone to dethrone God. And so what I'm saying today, I'm not saying with some kind of like, you know, glee that I want to like tell you how it is, that there's not righteous anger in me in talking about this. In some ways, I, I don't even like it because I realize how, how far short I fall in what I'm talking about today. But I'm preaching this today because it is so clear scripturally, and I believe that if we are going to see our lives improve in 2017, this has to be our number one priority, no other gods. It's what God requires. And then James 4, after telling us that God is jealous for us, verse 6 says, but he gives us more grace, which is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And then you go into verse 7 and you find this. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. What we have just read was written to believers. The church is full of people today who, who say to pastors, don't say anything to me except love. Just talk to me about love. Love, 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 love. You say anything else, you're just a downer. What we just read was written to believers. And James' prescription for them when they have dethroned God is not to talk to themselves in a soothing voice, and remind themselves how delighted God is in them even when they dethrone him. That's not what it is. It is submit to God. Resist the devil. Actually fight against him instead of accommodating him. It is come near to God. You You draw near to God. 
Well, Brian, that's where you and James are all wrong. I don't have to draw near to God. He's already drawn near to me. Boom, mic drop. Walk out of the room. James seems to think that we might need to be proactive. That instead of always demanding that God meet us on our terms, we start coming to him on his terms. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change laughter to mourning and joy to gloom. This is all stuff that we are told to do. Be proactive. Change the way you're behaving. Stop dethroning God. Look, James wants us to understand that dethroning God, even when it is done by people who are saved, is a big honking deal. It is. Here is what we convince ourselves of. We convince ourselves that God is like us when we see our children do things that are wrong. You know, parents, how you often have a hard time not laughing your head off when your kids do sinful things. (laughs) I I mean, you know, like I'm thinking of things and kind of like it's funny right now thinking about it. But on some level, it's really messed up that we do this. You know, we see a a little child in its, you know, earliest ages when they start to show defiance. And we just think it's so cute. Oh, look how defiant Sally is. <laughs> that is just the cutest thing I've ever seen. Or, or we see a four or five-year-old kid who gets mad about something and they, they drop a curse word that they don't understand. And we think it's hilarious. It's just the funniest thing I've ever seen. But you see, God's not like that. He's just not like that. God does not look at us lying, cheating, stealing, having affairs, watching pornography, cursing at our spouse, cheating on our taxes, acting like our money belongs to him, telling friends who are living in sin that it's no big deal. God does not look at those things and have to stifle a laugh. He doesn't. God does not think we are cute when we dethrone him. He doesn't. Acts 17.20 tells us that there was a time when God overlooked people in their sinful ignorance. But that now... He commands all men to come to repentance. And so there is one solution when we dethrone God. We have to repent. We have to take ourselves down off of the throne. We have to commit again to have no other gods before him. We have to once again submit to him. Submit to his rule of our lives. Submit to him as the absolute sovereign of our lives. Why is it that God demands to be the lone occupant on the throne of our lives? 
Here's the first reason. Because he's God and we're not. That's the first reason. And that's enough reason. We don't need any other reason. Through both creation and redemption, God rightfully owns us. And so he deserves to have us recognize his sovereignty over our lives. But there is another reason. And it's this. It is because submission to God results in the blessing of God. Submission to God results in God's blessing. Now listen, it is, it is true. Scripture affirms this. God is gracious to both the saved and the unsaved people. He is gracious to those who are yielded to him and those who are not perfectly yielded to him. Yes, it is true that the, the, the blessing of rain falls on just people and unjust people. That's true. But there are blessings that God has for us that he cannot and will not give us when we are living in rebellion against him. And he knows that submission to him is the only way that we're going to receive the abundant life that he desires for us. So many Christians are not experiencing the abundant life. And I'll admit, I'm often not experiencing the abundant life. And here's why we're not. We're not submitted. We're not submitted. You're never going to have the abundant life that Christ offers us while you remain on the throne of your life. Here's what Exodus 24 through 6 tell us. You shall not make for yourself an image in any form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Once again, this was written to his own people. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. James 4.10 Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves before him. Acknowledge him for who he is. Understand who you are compared to who he is. Bow before him. Submit to his rule and he will lift you up. He, he will bless you to a thousand generations. What Exodus 20 and James 4 both let us know is that there are blessings for those who submit to God's rule that can never be experienced by those who insist on serving other gods, who insist on sitting on the throne of their own lives instead of allowing God to occupy the throne of their lives. I have noticed that the more fully submitted to Christ I am, the greater the experience of the abundant life that I have. And when I am throwing off his rule for my own rule, the abundant life is elusive to me. It seems like a fiction to me. But it's because of what I'm doing. It's because of how I'm not yielded. You've probably noticed this in your own life. And so if we want to improve our lives in 2017, there is simply no better place to start 
no better commitment to make than to make the decision to step off of the throne of our lives and ask God to ascend the throne of our lives. The more fully that we do that, the more fully we will experience the abundant life that God desires for us, the more our lives will improve in quality, the more meaningful our lives will be throughout this new year. So I want us to reflect here for a minute. I want you to be honest with yourself. What is holding you back from enthroning God? From, from fully yielding the throne of your life to God, what's holding you back? What desire, what sin are you so fond of that it's causing you to enthrone yourself as sovereign of your life instead of God? What is it? I think for most of us here today, there is something that just came to our minds that we know that that is the thing that is causing us to push God off of his rightful throne and put ourselves on it. What is that thing for you? Because he is God and deserves the throne of our lives and because your greatest blessing depends on enthroning him on your life, the most important thing that any of us can do to improve our lives this year is to step down off of the throne and yield it to its rightful sovereign, Jesus Christ. Now this morning, we have the representation of a throne up here. Isn't that a fine throne? I made that throne in about five minutes this morning. Royal Burgundy. Yeah. So it's a, it's a throne. Gold crown. It's an impressive throne. So we have this representation of a throne. And here's how I want to end the service today. The worship team is going to come up, and actually, you guys can go ahead and, and come on up. The worship team is going to come up here, and they're going to close us out with a couple of songs. And if the Holy Spirit is working in your heart right now, and you say, I really do want to more fully enthrone Christ in my life this year. Here's what we're going to do. There is a blank sheet of paper uh, on the back of the seat in front of you in the card holder. And so I'm going to ask you to take that sheet of paper out. You can go ahead and do that. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll insist on this much cooperation. Go ahead and take the sheet of paper out. And so as the team uh, starts to play, here's what I want you to do with that sheet of paper. I want you to write on it the thing that you know is keeping you from yielding the throne of your life to God. Some of you are going to need to write on their money. Some of you might need to write sex. Some of you might need to write gossip. Some of you might need to write lying. Some of you might need to write anger. Some of you might need to write unforgiveness. 
There are all kinds of things that we might need to write on there. But I want you to write on there the thing that you know is causing you to retain the throne of your own life, not give it to God. And then what I want you to do is I want you to fold that up, fold it several times so that you keep it, keep it private and discreet. And then throughout these next couple of songs as they lead us, I'm going to invite you, if you sincerely mean it, look, I, I don't want anybody to feel pressure to come up today, okay? Like, if you don't come, we're just going to assume the best about you. We're going to assume you're perfect. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. If you don't come, we're, we're not going to make any judgments on you based on that, okay? Honestly, I, I like to joke around, but we're not going to draw any conclusions about why you did not come, okay? I only want you to do this if you really mean it because it's, it's pointless. It's just pointless to do this if you don't mean it, okay? But if you mean it, if you say, God, I know this is the thing that is keeping me from yielding to you, and today, the first day of this new year, I, I genuinely say to you that I'm willing to lay this thing aside, and, and I'm genuinely asking you, God, to ascend the throne of my life and be sovereign over my life. Now, we say that understanding that we're totally dependent on the Holy Spirit's empowering to, to make good on this, okay? This isn't just a sheer force of our will type thing, but it, it does require enacting our will. I mean, that's what James was telling us. But if you mean it, if you're sincere about it, you bring that folded up piece of paper and you lay it here either on this throne or you can lay it around it. But symbolically, what you're saying is, God, the thing that has kept me from yielding to you, I cast it down and I submit to your rule of my life this year. Why don't you stand? After you do that, uh, after you do that, you're welcome to return to your seat. You're welcome to kneel and uh, do business between yourself and the Lord, whatever you want to do. But the key thing is getting out of your seat, submitting this thing that you've held on to to God, and symbolically saying, God, you are my sovereign. I commit to that this year. Thank you guys for leading us. Come as you feel led by the Spirit to do so.